Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode seven of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. Jumptown's located in Orange, Massachusetts, about 70 miles outside of Boston. They're a not-for-profit organization that exists for the sole purpose of promotion and the enjoyment of skydiving and sport parachuting. So if you are looking to check that thing off of your bucket list and reset 2020 the right way, why not go to where it all started? The history of skydiving goes all the way back to May of 1959, when four sport jumpers put Jumptown on the map with the first purpose-built skydiving center in the United States. So if you're looking to make that tandem skydive to commemorate a birthday, an anniversary, some kind of milestone, so why not head to Jumptown? You can get discounted tandems on Thursdays and Fridays, or if you're in the military or a student or a group over 10, you can get discounted jumps too. And yes, they'll get pictures and videos so you can prove to all of your friends that you actually jumped out of a plane. Log on to jumptown.com, make your reservation, check out videos and pictures, and jump out of that plane. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. For over 20 years, Latini Creative Solutions has been in the design, print, and marketing business, specializing in the most creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. From supporting and energizing your established brand to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful and focused and creatively executed. They have been a huge help, not only with the Mistress Carrie podcast, but Cocktails in the War Room and upcoming MistressCarrie.com. So find out how Latini Creative Solutions can help you rebrand your business, give it a fresh look, design new artwork for your online websites and social media pages, or even new artwork and logos for updated uniforms. Log on to latinicreative.com for more details. Okay, I've been super excited about this episode of the podcast, which is now being listened to in 77 countries, including the kingdom of Thailand. Thank you guys so much for helping me get the word out on the new podcast. And if you've got friends that are Ice Nine Kills fans, don't forget to share this episode with them. Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills and I have become friends over the last couple of years. He's a super creative and interesting guy who loves horror movies and all things gore. And he loves roast beef sandwiches. He's been stuck in Los Angeles for the last few months and it was awesome to catch up to him to find out exactly what he's been doing, how he's been spending his time, and when it is we're going to get together for another three-way. Wait, what? You got to listen to the episode to find out. So here he is, Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Hey. 
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Her hair is so lovely. Pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Spencer, how are you? I am doing well. It's so good to hear your voice. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to survive the apocalypse. Uh, fourth month of lockdown for me. How are you doing? Uh, pretty much the same. I'll get the the obvious out of the way since you and I have not spoken. Um, you know, we have joked that WAF going off the air triggered the apocalypse. And the, the more that things go on, the more I subscribe to that theory as being true. <laughs> the time frame certainly adds up, so I, I wouldn't discredit that theory at all. Yeah, it, uh, it, it was... I've joked many times, so for people that have listened to every episode of the podcast, I apologize for being repetitive, but uh, I was unemployed in social distancing before it was cool. You were ahead of the curve there. Yeah, we got in there. We got in there on the ground floor when it came to that stuff. So um, I know that you wanted to just talk briefly about, you know, the last couple days of WAF because... You were one of the bands that the last like 18 months of WAF really became one of these bands that we were like, okay, we are championing this band. They're local. We're in on breaking new bands again. And we were really hitting a stride with you guys. And then the surprise announcement about WAF going off the air. It was such a bummer to me, you know, as a AAF listener for, you know, my entire life growing up through all the way since I was in like second and third grade um, and to having my own band being played on the station was such an honor and being able to come in and play acoustic live on the air was so cool. So it, it was definitely a, a really sad moment to find out that the station uh, was, was going off just as you said, you know, we, we were getting back to the sort of golden age of, of breaking new bands. And uh, we were so uh, privileged to be to be a part of that. And uh, the, the last few days of AAF, we were in Europe. I think we were actually in Spain. And I, I was so adamant, yeah, I got to find good Wi-Fi because I, I want to listen to to the last few days and make sure I don't miss anything. And I ran into some problems because when you're overseas, not every um, United States site works. So I had to download this thing called like Surfshark or something. And, and uh, it, it 
gained me access to um, you know American websites, and and it w- it was really a pleasure to listen to uh, the interviews you had on the last few days, and I was uh, really thrilled to to hear you guys even mention Ice Nine Kills and like the last few minutes of of WAF history. So thank you for doing that. It. Uh... I know that the the internet, when it comes to music and streaming and stuff, it's got something to do with the music licensing, which is why they block because the different licensing and all that. But I love the fact that you went totally rogue and found a way to listen where you were. And then afterwards, I don't know if it was like a week after we went off the air, but you sent me the most amazing picture of you. You were in high school, right? Tell me the story of that picture. So the picture that I sent you was a, a screenshot of a live performance that Ice Nine Kills filmed back in high school in my basement where we used to practice every night uh, to the dismay of our neighbors and also the Swamp Scott uh, uh, Massachusetts Police Department who were called almost nightly and uh, a very prominent poster that is on display in that video is a WAF poster you know the old school logo the roller banner we called it those plastic banners that we would wrap around everything and we'd put them up at shows and then people would try and steal them at the end of the night i was one of those kids and uh actually i i think one time uh one of those banners and that might have been actually where i got the banner was displayed at the north shore mall in Peabody, and I ripped ripped it off the wall, and and then someone apprehended me. Some sort of mall security that was incognito took me took me by my shoulder and uh, brought me to my mom to my mom and said, "You know, your son has been trying to steal WAF posters." And uh, needless to say, I talked my way out of it, and and I got the poster. And you way, got so. the and you got the banner, and you properly yeah. displayed it. And I love the fact that it's like this moment in time that. You know, here's this band in its infancy in your parents' basement, which is where every great band came from, and that AAF was a little part of that. You know, it's the last few months have been um, this mourning process from being sad that it's gone to being happy that it ever happened in the first place. And it's stories like that and pictures like that that just make me so happy. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the positive things, I guess, is is the commute to work is a little less right now, right? Yeah, seriously. It, I mean, it was one of those things, you know, the, the couple weeks after the station goes off the air, I had had some job interviews and was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, the coronavirus really takes over and everything shut down. And at that point, I'm like, uh, okay, I'm in the house. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And so I just decided, fuck it, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to launch my own podcast. And I started a video series and I'm doing all kinds of stuff now. And it's really strange, like working for yourself and deciding, oh, okay, today I'm going to leave work early and take the dog for a walk or, you know, I'm going to work late tonight or whatever. But building my own studio, this is MCHQ that you're seeing right now. Like, it's so cool to be able to basically have a radio studio in my house now. It's nice. Absolutely. And I think, you know, my dad always taught me, you know, one door closes, another one opens. And, you know, you've got 
a great voice, a great radio personality. People love you and you've got a following. And what more do you need? Now you got the studio. And I got you guys. I'll tell you, all of the artists have been so gracious with their time. And it's just so nice that when I reach out to you guys and say, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Can we talk or whatever? You know, you and I were messaging back and forth and you were like, yeah, of course, just tell me when you want to do it. And so I just really appreciate all of the support I've gotten from you, but also the support that I've gotten from, you know, the AAF family, all of those bands, that community. And we don't have another way to keep this New England rock community together. And so I really want this podcast and all of the things that I'm doing moving forward to be something that kind of keeps us all together, this angry mob that we are because we need each other. Absolutely. And I, I love that sense of community that, I, that I've always felt from, from New England and that rock scene and growing up and going to Loco Bazooka and, and, and constantly tuning in to hear the new bands and also, you know, bands like Godsmack that, that were, were discovered by, by stations like you guys. And uh, I, I love it. And uh, no matter where I live, I always feel like, you know, New England really is my home. So talk to me about what your coronavirus quarantine has been like, because you're in L.A. right now. Have you been there the whole time? So it's interesting. We were actually out on the road in Europe with Hollywood Undead and Papa Roach when everything was really going down. And I was a little bit sort of in denial about how far this this pandemic would really reach and the, the consequences of, of not really taking it seriously. And for a while, it was interesting while we were on tour, it seemed like the, the virus was almost following us because we'd play in Madrid and then four days later, the news would be, now, now Spain is on lockdown. And uh, I just remember talking to my family and friends at home saying, when is this tour that you're on going to be canceled? There's no way that this is going to happen. There's no way the spring tour that you're doing with Five Finger Death Punch in the States is going to happen. And I'm saying, oh, you're crazy. You're, you're going overboard with it. And uh, needless to say, we were playing one show, I believe, in Germany. We got off the stage and our tour manager basically told us, we got to book flights. We're, we're going home tonight. So that was uh, crazy, and uh, unfortunately, we did uh, end up canceling that last week of the tour. We got in our bus and drove through the night to Frankfurt Airport, and while we were driving is when you know the president came out with the whole travel ban thing. Uh, so we were really scared and uh, saying, you know, oh my God, it's going to be a madhouse at this airport. You know, you know, what if we don't get back in the states? And uh, luckily enough, we got to the airport, I'd say a good six or seven hours before that insane flood happened that you saw in the news of those airports with just thousands of people lined up in the terminals. And we got home uh, okay, but uh, yeah, I've been uh, bunkered down in LA for about four months and uh, now I'm here talking with you. It, it, right after, so AAF's last day was February 21st. The next week I went to Vegas to this big rock radio convention. I saw Bush and, you know, it, it, it was Vegas. So people are packed. And, and then all of a sudden we start hearing a little bit here and there. And I'm kind of home now with really no job and nowhere to go. So it wasn't really as affecting for me. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing all of my friends that are either on tour 
or getting ready to go out on tour. And it seemed like my whole thread was headed home, no idea what's going on. You know, I don't know about the tour. We were talking about the AAF big gig that was supposed to happen in April and whether or not that was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, it's like a, a light switch. You wake up one day and you're like, is this the same world that I went to sleep in last night? I mean, it's, I know here in Massachusetts, we got hit with it early, but in LA, it, you guys didn't get hit with it as early. So what were you doing? Well, for a while, my understanding was that LA was doing great. We so, we sort of uh, locked down early. I, I remember, you know, the politicians, the local politicians saying that if it feels wrong, by shutting down, it means we're doing it at the right time. And if, and if it feels right, it's too late. So we, we seem to be sort of ahead of the curve with locking down uh, the community. And it seemed to be going decently. I, I think that it, it sort of neutralized the spread. But like with, with most things, I think people were too eager to get back to everyday life. And uh, with that pressure, I think uh, the, the openings came prematurely. And within a few weeks of that, I think we, we saw the consequences of that. And now um, all of all indoor seating, indoor dining and bars, which had opened up um, about a month ago, I want to say, are now completely closed again. And uh, it seems like uh, we're, 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 we're back on that wave where it's it's rising again. What have you been doing in the house? I know early on there was this wave of crazed internet shopping and people were buying the most insane things and and then people hit the outer limits of netflix because they watched everything how have you been keeping yourself occupied once i got past that initial stage of just kind of being in shock that wow did we just have to come home from europe because of a, a global pandemic i sort of just said to myself hey i'm gonna make the best of it I'm going to look at this time as added time to be able to write new music. Um, and I just sort of looked at the whole thing as this is just really changing our band's schedule because we we're supposed to be on the road. We we're supposed to be on the road all spring. And then we were going to come home and write. And uh, I just I just sort of, you know, flipped flipped the um, the schedule and got into a pretty good groove of trying to get up earlier in the morning than I usually would on tour and, and you know, have been writing a lot of music that I'm excited about. What have you, you're such a horror movie enthusiast and I, at the very early stages, got sucked into watching every pandemic zombie movie and like the first month I was in the house, I literally watched everything that had anything to do with infectious diseases and deadly outbreaks. And I got myself to the point where I couldn't even sleep. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop now. <laughs> That's funny. I, I actually read um, an article recently that said that those particular kinds of horror movies and, and the fans of those particular kinds of horror movies, like the 28 Days Later and the Dawn of the Dead, stuff that has those sort of um, viral elements that you're talking about, 
um, the fans of those movies actually are are getting through this pandemic in a much easier fashion because they've been exposed to that in a movie situation. So they're they're a little bit more prepared for it, and 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 maybe subconsciously that that's why I'm taking the whole thing uh, better than 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 most people. I used to get made fun of at the radio station and by all of my friends and family members all the time because I've been a doomsday prepper for years. And let me tell you, the last four months, the ball busting has completely stopped. And the first probably six weeks, people were calling me for advice on stuff. Like, what should I be stockpiling? And what should I have? And I guess I'm not crazy. Yeah, you got the Mistress Carrie. You have the fallout shelter in the, in the yeah. backyard as well, right? <laughs> I'm getting a bulldozer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a, a giant shelter back there at the concrete bunker. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's like you said, it's it's like, what what's going on in the world? This doesn't seem real. And uh, every time that I sort of get used to it, I'll be going out, uh, you know, just to the grocery store, or, you know, a simple mundane task like filling the car with gas and just looking around and, and seeing people wearing masks and, and realizing that th this is no joke. This is like a, um, I don't know, Orson Welles thing or, or like an episode of the Twilight Zone that we're living in right now. Well, you brought up Five Finger Death Punch because of that tour you were supposed to be on. Zoltan lives in Vegas, and I was watching his Instagram, and what really made me understand how crazy things are, because I had just been in Vegas the week after, like at the end of February, and then watching Zoltan's Instagram of a closed-down, abandoned Vegas. And I was like, oh... Mike, I was just there a few weeks ago and it was packed. Right, right. And now he's driving uh, his orange Lambo down the strip in Vegas and there's no one there. So crazy. It's like it's like, you know, the strip in Vegas, New York uh, uh, uh Times Square in New York. It's like those are the images of 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 wild America, you know, like uh, in New Orleans and stuff and to see those images where it's like a ghost town in those so usually um, vibrant, packed uh, communities is definitely crazy to see. Well, I just, you know, for you being in L.A., seeing images of the Mass Pike being empty or the financial district of Boston or Faneuil Hall just completely abandoned and shut down, it really started to look like, oh, this is just a disaster movie filmed in Boston. This is it was very reminiscent of the lockdown in 2013, I thought, after, you know, after the marathon bombings, when everything shut down for a week. Yes. Now that you mention that, that that's like one of the only times I've ever been in an area where it felt like this is like a movie. You know, people were off the streets, especially during that time when they were not only off the streets, but we were looking for um you know, f physical entities, not not a mysterious sort of invisible virus, but um, those those jerks. Yeah, it just it's so strange. And there was so much exciting stuff that was happening towards the end of last year and early this year. And I want you to talk about um, The Shining and the EP you guys um, recorded and all of that, because when AF was still on the air, we sent some winners out to that hotel and were part of all of that. And that acoustic EP um, 
is is out obviously and so i just i want to talk about that before we start talking about new music and stuff just about where you came up with the idea to record that ep and why you picked the songs that you did absolutely uh with with the last album the silver scream being all about horror films and one of those particular tracks was called enjoy your slay which was uh based off uh, not not only um, the movie The Shining, but the book as well. Obviously, the Stephen King book, and uh, this station, this radio station in Colorado, approached us about doing a concert at the Stanley Hotel, and the Stanley Hotel was the actual place that Stephen King stayed when he wrote the novel The Shining. You know, he stayed in the the infamous room and. Basically, that hotel had always had a history of of supernatural occurrences. You know, people had seen ghosts, and it had been pretty well documented. So when we got the chance on our last tour that we did, last headlining tour, uh, to to fly out to this remote area in Colorado, um, and 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 perform an acoustic stripped down performance in the actual hotel that gave birth to, to what one of these songs would eventually be about and one of the most famous horror novels and horror films of all time we jumped at the chance so it was incredible we i, I remember we finished one show i forgot exactly where we were but then we boarded a plane uh to and we flew into denver and then we were driven to this hotel that was this really beautiful old looking sort of colonial era um, architecture and when we got there I found out that not only was this the birthplace of The Shining but that also one of my favorite comedies of all time was filmed at the hotel Dumb and Dumber and uh, if you remember especially that scene where Jim Carrey is in the bar and he, he looks at that the, the um, news clipping article where it said like that we landed on the moon and stuff and, and, and it's all set up just like that in the bar and that news article was actually on the wall there during that scene, and Jim Carrey just improvised that line. So I thought that was pretty funny. No way, yeah. really? Yeah. Uh, so it was just it was just a really great treat to be able to be there, and um, they have this really cool theater in the hotel where they do live performances. And um, surprisingly to me, I, I know I didn't think some remote area in Colorado you know, we'd sell out the area, you know, we'd never been to that part, but it sold out like instantaneously. And it was just a really cool experience to be able to to play those songs that are, are paying tribute and one in particular paying tribute to what that hotel uh, ended up inspiring. Well, it's got to be a pretty creepy place to inspire a guy like Stephen King to write a book like The Shining. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, I was mentioning that there were supernatural occurrences that had been, uh, had been documented over the years. And when I was walking down one of the hallways, I saw this woman sitting in a chair, just holding her, her phone up. And I was thinking, what is she filming? And she was just literally holding her phone up um, and recording the empty hallway. And she, she was there, obviously, trying to document some sort of supernatural activity that she felt uh, was present present in that hallway, and uh, other than it, it being a spiritual environment, it's, it's definitely a beautiful hotel, and um, they were nice enough to you know comp us some rooms, and it, it was just a really awesome experience being there. Anybody that's seen Ice Nine Kills live knows that it's just this big giant 
loud production with props and stuff flying out of the ceiling. But having seen you guys perform acoustic in my studio on my show, you wouldn't necessarily think that it would work because your production is so massive when you play in a venue. But the band really does translate acoustic. And I think we talked about it the last time you were in the studio, but I wanted to talk to you about it here. Is that how you write? Because you're in the process of writing new music now. Do you write acoustically and then transform it electrically? Or did you have to take the electronic music and figure out how the hell to play it acoustically? It's interesting. And it's a really interesting process as far as not how not only how I write songs, but how I then take the songs that are heavy and full of screaming and, and uh, heavy instrumentation, then translate them to acoustics. Um, basically, when I'm writing music of any kind for Ice Nine Kills, it usually does start with me and an acoustic guitar or me sitting at the piano, uh, figuring out some sort of um, inspiring uh, vocal melody and chord progression. And then I later transpose it to uh, being a full band production so it, it is funny that songs that are so brutally heavy can really just start in a very almost folk-like sounding manner and then taking those uh, finished products which are full band productions and then bringing them into an acoustic setting is really uh, a fun and at the same time challenging experience you know for instance like a song like enjoy your sleigh or thank god it's friday the verses are are not melodic vocally you know it's very heavy screaming fast screaming so being able to take those lyrics and sit down with an acoustic guitar and and change it to um a melodic presentation of those heavy parts can be challenging but i i was really excited to see how well they did seem to 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 work in that in that respect your last full-length album, The Silver Scream, like what you're talking about, was inspired by all of these amazing horror films that you grew up loving. Is the coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdown going to inspire a, a some kind of contagion-themed new Ice Nine Kills album? What are you, what are you working on? I, I, although I do think that would be cool. You know, I always see our music, and especially like with the last two albums being concept-driven albums about literature and film, I see the band as an escape from reality. So if we were to do something like that, I think it might hit a little too close to home. Um, so we, we might just end up writing an album about how uh, how normal life was, and, and that'll be the escape from whatever the hell we're going through right now. There's a lot of subjects that are taken off the table if you're trying to escape from reality. You're not allowed to write songs about murder hornets because that's real. You can't write songs about aliens and UFOs now because as we found out a few months ago from the Pentagon, that's real now. Were you someone that always believed in aliens? Because anybody that used to talk about seeing UFOs, people thought they were crazy. And now you're not crazy. I know. It, it, it's, it's absolutely insane. I think the movie Men in Black probably opened me up to the, the fact that maybe, maybe aliens exist. And to see that... Being actually documented is is pretty insane, and I will say one of the other things that seems like uh, used to be bread and butter for us, but now it's it's so commonplace, is that 
wearing masks is now if you're not wearing a mask someone is scarier than when someone is wearing a mask so that that ruins the whole jason and michael myers thing for me I loved all of those memes that were coming out at the beginning of all of this that, you know, there was Jason and then he he had his mask and then a surgical mask on top of it. And people were just (laughs) the Internet has really gotten me through the last few months because people's humor and their creativity is amazing. That uh, that's what we need the Internet for. Absolutely. I I think a, a good sense of humor is vital in any sort of time uh, that, that's difficult in dark times, I think you gotta you gotta rely on humor to get you through the the darkness there. Plus, if you were a kid in a certain time in the '70s and '80s, you were wearing those Halloween masks that had like the one little slit that you could breathe through, and you were out trick or treating for hours. Like <laughs> you didn't need to breathe. You can wear a cloth mask to Walmart for 15 minutes, Linda. It's okay. Yeah, I, I, I back you on that. I, I tend not to, uh, you know, be too uh, stand on a soapbox for the mask kind of thing. I think that, uh, hey, you're not if you don't care about yourself, that's fine. But don't subject other people uh, to to like uh, sort of that selfish bullshit, in my opinion. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC, who in my mind, is one of the bands or an artist like Kiss and some others, the Beatles, obviously, that really paved the way for creative and amazing merchandise. And I was joking with him and I said, come on, you know that you're going to make Run DMC coronavirus masks. And he's like, yeah, we have them. Like, it already happened. And you're another guy. <laughs> Ice Nine Kills has always been so great with your custom merchandise and you're very quick to turn things around that are topical and i was going through your online store and there's your jaws mask and it's sold out and i'm like gotta love spencer man your (laughs) clothing and the ice nine kill stuff you already had it up there thank you yeah i I think that uh you, you always have to adapt to what's going on and i think that the way that I look at it is that, hey, if if by Ice Nine Kills putting out masks, that's going to make someone who maybe wouldn't have put one on, put one on, then we're doing something good. And plus, they're cool. So, if you got to wear them, you at least want them to look good. Exactly. You don't want to be walking around with, uh, you know, that it's sort of generic surgical looking mask. Well, if that's all you have, I'm for it. But if you're going to protect yourself and protect others, why not do it in style? Uh, last week I talked to Des from Devil Driver and he and I got into a pretty lengthy discussion about haunted places in the Northeast because when he was in Cold Chamber, they recorded chamber music at Longview Farm Studios and was talking about how haunted that place is. And I was really looking forward to bringing this up with you because you grew up up here. And so I wanted to talk to you about some of your favorite kind of haunted places around here um, and places that you either love to go to or stories that you've heard because the Northeast really is kind of a hotbed for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And it's funny that you bring up that studio in particular because the one time uh, anyone in person ever told me about a paranormal activity? It's when they were recording there. Uh, many years ago, we were in 
Ocala, Florida, um, doing um, an album with uh, this guy named Tom Denny, who, who, who used to be in a band called A Day to Remember. And he was telling us while we were recording that, you know, they had done their first album at that studio, where, which is in Westfield, I think. Where is that? It's in uh, East Brookfield, I think. East or Brookfield. North Brookfield. Yeah, it's in one of the Brookfields. I think it's yeah. East Brookfield. And he told me that he didn't believe in paranormal activity, none of that stuff, but that when they did their record there, he is absolutely positive that there were spirits involved in, in where they were staying in that studio. He said things like doors would close, uh, um, windows would shake, and uh, bottom line, he, he, he went into that recording process not being a believer of, of spiritual kind of stuff and walked out actually afraid of that studio so i 100 percent believe in that obviously uh growing up uh right next to salem massachusetts and and then living in salem for a number of years i mean there if you don't think that there's spiritual uh paranormal activity in that area you're crazy and you're maybe a ghost because with all the, the people that died there unjustly how, how could there not be some sort of activity Des is a California guy, and one of the things we were talking about is our shared love of Halloween and how, you know, even as kids, we just grew up loving that whole time of year. And he was like, you know what? There really isn't a better place to celebrate Halloween than the Northeast, especially up where you grew up in that whole Salem area. So, you know, when you, when you're a kid... Like, I can't imagine how boring Halloween would be in, like, Idaho compared to how spoiled <laughs> we got to be celebrating and growing up with Halloween around here. A hundred percent. The Northeast, I, I feel like, for so many different reasons, is that hotbed of activity for October happenings, especially, you know, j just the, the foliage, you know, just the look of everything and... Um, and I remember, you know, every Halloween, my mom and I would have this tradition where we would decorate the house and decorate the yard. And each year we would have more elaborate stuff. Uh, I think w one of the last times we had like even had strobe lights going and I would jump out of a, a coffin on the lawn to, to scare everybody. And uh, and then the other tradition uh, with my dad is that back in the day, I want to say like the early mid 90s. The original spooky world in Berlin, Mass, was was still to this day, and and maybe I remember it differently because you know I was only such a young kid. Was was the best haunted attraction I've ever been to, um, and and they had so many cool things like the haunted hayride. And after the haunted hayride, you would go into this barn, and there would be you know Kane Hodder who played Jason signing autographs, and George Wilbur who played. Michael Myers in one of the Halloweens. So I think there there is something that, that's like untouchable about the Northeast uh, and New England during that time of year. It's, it's something in the air that you can try to replicate in other parts of the country, but it just doesn't quite work. And then you take that love of, of that whole aesthetic and now you're a successful business owner and obviously lead singer and of a band that is so ingratiated into that whole vibe. And you go from like collecting comic books and posters and like a mask here or there. I want to talk to you about your collection of stuff. 
because Absolutely. you you have one of the Jaws harpoons or something, right? Like, I want to know the kind of stuff that you've got <laughs> now as an adult. Well, well, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I, I've been uh, trying to collect horror movie memorabilia for years. You know, um, I've built a collection of signed hockey masks and um, signed one sheets from people like Ari Lehman, who played the original Jason Voorhees in, in part one, you know, that scene where he he jumps out of the lake and w one of the most uh, iconic moments in horror history. So to have stuff signed uh, by him is absolutely insane. But now what I'm starting to get into is is trying to collect stuff that's screen used that was actually in those films. So um, my first piece of the collection uh, was a gift, um, and it was one of the lamps that is shown very prominently in Scream 4. It's this lamp that's right by my bed. It's right on my nightstand right now. It's covered in blood, and uh, you can see it very prominently in the scene where Ghostface jumps out of the closet and, and attacks this girl. So to have that and know that Wes Craven, you know, was using that in one of his films is amazing. Um, and then our guitarist, Ricky, his father, uh, in a, a, a sort of bizarre trade uh, slash car deal that he did back in the 80s, um, to sweeten the deal, uh, this guy threw in one of the harpoon guns that was used in Jaws. Uh, and that, that sweetened the, 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 the deal on some white, Mustang convertible or something, and uh, I'm I'm trying to buy it from Ricky's father because I you know to own one of the guns used in Jaws is would be absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of my new hobby. I'm constantly checking on prop sites, uh, trying to trying to get one uh, like a screen used Michael Myers mask or Jason mask. Uh, that that's the next one for me. It's the, the that's like the most '80s story I've ever heard. Like. I need to sell this white Mustang and I'm going to throw in a harpoon gun from Jaws to sweeten the deal. <laughs> it's the most random thing I've ever heard. It's it's pretty cool. And we actually, we just did like a, a, a four or five minute documentary about how Ricky's father acquired that gun. And it's on YouTube. So definitely check it out. And it, it's cool because our band, the members of our band, just randomly have the, the these weird connections. Our, our guitarist uh, Dan Sugarman, his uncle uh, was uh, in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. He played the, the character of Ned. He's the redheaded jokester that actually is one of the only people who survives that movie. And uh, if you do look into that particular actor, his name is Stu Charno. And uh, of a per as a person who grew up in the 80s, Carrie, you will recognize this guy because he was the like the redheaded nerd in every 80s movie you've ever seen. He was in Christine. He was in um, just one of the guys, that comedy. And uh, he was in the first Jim Carrey movie, Once Bitten, where Jim Carrey is a vampire. Um, so Ice Nine Kills definitely has a lot of... Uh, connections that I can't, I, it's got to be fate. You know, it's not just coincidence that we would have. Yeah, these no, obscure... that's not coincidence that you guys all ha are so like-minded with the things that you love, but then to have these weird connections of, oh yeah, well, I know that guy. That's my uncle. He was in that movie and, and whoever <laughs> got to play the redheaded nerd in the eighties, like he must've been really busy because there were a lot of those movies where that character was always around. 
That's right. He and he just he had this great look, and he was super funny and just a a really cool character actor. And it was funny because when Dan was auditioning to be in Ice Nine Kills, not only was he an amazing, amazing guitarist, but when he told me that, I was like, "It's got to be fate. You got the job." Have you been uh, going back to? Some older movies, like I think it's hilarious that the kids that are in my life that I go and show them some of these old kind of 80s movies and whatever. And I was scouring on demand the other night and right now on demand, the movie Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees and Aerosmith. That movie is free on demand, and it is one of my favorite childhood memories was watching this movie. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but I, it looks like I should. It's, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It's the reason why Aerosmith covered Come Together originally, because they're portrayed in the movie playing that song, and it's all about the Beatles characters. I mean, you watch it, first of all, the special effects are awful, and it's kind of, you know, a musical where they put all the Beatles music in it. And you can just imagine in 1978 what Peter Frampton and the Beatles were wearing and how <laughs> George Burns is in it. He plays Mr. Oh, Kite, man. the mayor. It's super cheeky and cheesy, but it's one of those movies that reminds me so much of my childhood that I don't care how cheesy and bad the production is. I love it so much. What's a movie that's like that for you? Oh man, there are so many, so so many of those kind of movies. It's like almost like comfort food to me. Um, but one one that that uh, I always sort of uh, turn back to, which is just this really kind of sleazy, uh, low budget slasher movie that I was just watching, actually called Silent Night, Deadly Night, that was released uh, in 1984 and features this killer Santa Claus, and uh, it was pulled from theaters within two weeks. Uh, because angry parents were picketing outside of theaters because it it took the Santa Claus fairy tale and I guess perverted it in their eyes. But uh, it's one of the one of those things that proves that if you you try to suppress something, it will only make it that much more infamous and bigger. And the, the movie ended up uh, becoming like a cult classic. But uh, I've been spending a lot of time with this uh, this new uh, app that you can get on your TV called Shutter. S-H-U-D-D-E-R, and it's sort of the Netflix of horror. It has all these retro slasher films and original programming. So that's been keeping me busy and, and sort of giving me that, that retro fix that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah, it's like, you know, you got to find something to watch. And after a while, you know, I, I've gotten sucked into a few things that are incredibly embarrassing, and I'll, and I'll admit them here. Um, because of some of the little kids that are in my life, I have gotten sucked into playing Pokemon Go because now I'm in a race to try and see if I can get at a higher level than the kids because it's one of those games that a few years ago was huge and then it went away, but now with the social distancing, it's becoming big again because parents can drive their kids around and go Pokemon hunting. So somehow I got sucked into Pokemon Go, not a sentence I ever would have said before a global pandemic. And the other thing is I get sucked into these TikTok holes where I just can't stop watching TikTok videos. It's the biggest thing on the planet. I, I haven't gotten sucked in yet, but uh, uh, I've been told I, I need to make a TikTok. And at first I resisted, but I thought, you know, it could be cool to to recreate some of those f famous movies, horror movies that I love. So, so maybe I'll give it a try. 
And you can put your own music in it, which is very cool because that's one of the things that's great about it is that it spreads this music around and then people try to redo your videos. And I have a TikTok, but I have not made a video yet, partly because I'm just like, it's going to be so embarrassing when and if I ever decide to do it. And then it's going to be on the internet forever. And I don't know if I want that to happen, but I have one of those accounts where at least I can go in there and laugh at other people's idiocy. So I spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, I think you got to give it a go. If you're going to laugh at people, you got to you got to put yourself out there too. I know. It's kind of selfish of me to not let people laugh at me. Um, then one of the other things that I started doing was I started going live um, for a show that I call Cocktails in the War Room. So before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you about that because I wanted to invite you at some point when you are locked down in L.A. to join us in the war room for a cocktail because it's our live video show and that's kind of how we all get together and it's every Tuesday night at 8.30 Boston time and um, I can have guests on it now and it's live and interactive and people can ask you questions and um, I just started going live on my cell phone on Facebook in March because there was nothing else to friggin do and it turned into (laughs) a video show so I guess that's what happens when your radio station goes off the air you just start doing weird things you never thought you'd do and some of them work and some of them don't so yeah add in drinking to that equation you got a a great show i'm into it yeah well i have a room in my house we call it the war room and it's where all my military stuff is and it has a bar in it so you go into the war room for cocktails that's what you do i'm into it let's do it so some tuesday night that you're not doing anything you got to mix yourself a drink and come and hang out with us in the war room i am down count me in when is the next time you're going to be in Boston? Are you are you hunkered down in your apartment in L.A. or are you planning on coming home anytime soon? You know, I'd love to come home. I, I was planning to be there for, you know, quite a bit this summer, uh, you know, especially see my friends, visit my mom and family. Uh, but I, I'm just uh, the only thing that's keeping me away, just a little bit nervous about, you know, getting something on the plane and giving it to someone like, you know, my mom or, or, or someone in my family. So I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to, to weigh that out a little bit more and, uh, see when, when everyone's comfortable to, to get that going. Cause that, that's the thing about it. I, I you know, if you're younger, it, it seems like most people are getting through it, but I, I do worry about, uh, you know, someone that I care about that that's, that's older, uh, and I would hate I hate to pass that on to them by some well, chance. Well, I, I bring it up because the next time you come home, I would like to socially distance a three-way with you because you it. got me addicted to these sandwiches <laughs> and I haven't had one since you and I had one in the studio and I'm craving one. So when you come home, can we please get together and go have sandwiches? 100%. And, uh, I, I, you know, I haven't... Haven't had a three-way. I haven't been to Nick's, man, since probably, I want to say, sometime before 2020. So I'm definitely due for a beef. Yeah. Will they ship them to you? Is it possible? Like, I was talking to Zach Myers from Shinedown, and he had pizza sent from Frank Pepe's. They froze it for him and sent it to him in Tennessee. Would Nick send you a roast beef sandwich? To me, I I think that it would destroy the integrity of what the sandwich is. I, I feel like you've got five minutes. There's a five minute window that if you don't eat it within, within that time, it, it's just not right. And it doesn't do the sandwich justice. So maybe we can convince them to open a branch in LA and I, I'll manage it. 
Well, that's that's what I was going to ask you is that when I started this podcast, I realized that between all of my friends that are musicians and all of my friends that are in the military, you guys are some of the most well-traveled people on the planet because you're always out on tour. So because you're in L.A., but you're a Northeast guy, um, the next time that the world is to open back up again and anyone listening to this podcast maybe finds themselves in the Los Angeles area where is a place that you like to go and eat out there that is a place that someone would be like, oh, I'm going there when I go out there because Spencer from Ice Nine Kills said it was really good? Oh, wow. That's difficult. You know, I've got so many favorite restaurants, but to me, a certain food that if it's good, it's good anywhere to me is Italian food. I love Italian food and uh, Los Angeles has some really cool uh, old school kind of Hollywood restaurants, you know, not like the trendy newer Hollywood restaurants I'm talking about, but there's one called Dantana's. It's a very famous restaurant in West Hollywood and it's right next to the Troubadour, which is obviously a very famous club that has a lot of rock and roll history. And, uh, you just, you walk into Dantana's and it just feels like an old school, authentic uh, Italian spot and it's got a great vibe the, the waiters are, are kind of surly and they're they're, they're really funny and uh, they've got just just really really good authentic um, home style Italian dishes so if you go to Dantana's tell them Spencer from Ice Nine Kills sent you maybe next time I'll get a table it won't take me a couple hours to get in <laughs> Well, I, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Thank you so much for all the love and the kind words when the radio station signed off the air. Uh, what did you think of our last song? This is my last question because I know you got to go. What did you think of us closing down WAF with Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath? Was was that the right call? Because I feel like in my soul we we did the station justice by by closing it down with something dark and evil and satanic and sending it off to its new owners properly. Absolutely. I think there, there, there were only a handful of, of bands that would have made sense. And Black Sabbath's history, as far as their influence, and I think even bands, and I know this for sure, uh, even bands that don't know that they were influenced by Black Sabbath were in some regard. So I don't think they you, were inspired by a band that was inspired by Black Sabbath. Exactly. Like even if you don't, you don't know Iron Man. Chances are some band that that influenced you in a way definitely did. So I I don't think you could go wrong with Ozzy and Company. So good work on that. Well, thank you very much. I am so grateful for you being so generous with your time, and uh, I can't wait to see you again on the East Coast. Stay safe out there. Can't wait to hear the new music that is going to be inspired by everything that's going on that comes out of Ice Nine Kills. And obviously, you're invited here on the Mistress Carrie podcast anytime. So just uh, let me know the next time you're around, and we'll do it again. Or you can come in the war room for a cocktail. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right, there he is, Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. A huge thank you to him for being on episode seven of the Mistress Carrie podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe. 
because there are a lot of bonus episodes for the podcast that are coming and it'll get downloaded right onto your phone. Uh, Not only the weekly episodes every Wednesday, but the bonus stuff as well. And yes, the Mistress Carrie podcast is now on Pandora along with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Overcast, PocketCast, Radio Public, Stitcher, and TuneIn. That was a mouthful. Don't forget in the description of this episode, you get all the links you need to find Ice Nine Kills online and to check out the custom Mistress Carrie playlist that goes along with every episode. So if you've never heard Ice Nine Kills before or some of the other music we talked about in this episode, you can get it all there. Huge thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, Jumptown Skydiving and Latini Creative Solutions. You can find me online at Mistress Carrie on Twitter and my new YouTube channel and at Mistress Carrie WAF on Instagram and on Facebook, which is also where you can join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Boston time for a cocktail in the war room. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.